If I haven't met you, I am the associate pastor here at the Garden Gathering Church. And the Lord has been working in our midst for a long time. Uh, he's been specific about this year, 2023, and uh, renewing and bringing a renewal in you. And that looks like feeding a fire. The fire the Lord has put there when he saved you, he breathed in you. Those who call upon the name of the Lord are saved. Those who confess, repent, and turn from their ways and realize the Lord is calling me to his family. He causes you to be born again. He said that to a spiritual man, a man that was in the house of God daily. He spoke it to a leader of the spiritual house of Israel and said, you have to be born again. And this leader looked at him and said, how can I go in my mother's womb? And Jesus rebuked him saying, if you being a spiritual leader in the house cannot understand spiritual things, how can I tell you physical things? And you'll understand. What is he saying? He's saying that the Holy Spirit has been separated from you since the day you were born. Because you were born in sin. Sin is a willful choice in every man's heart that hates God. We are born at enmity against him. We can't stand to be in his presence, but yet that was what we were born to do because our spirit man says, no, I want this presence of God. He's the father of all spirits, but yet our flesh is separated from him. It says the wages of our separatedness from God is death because you cannot live without him. So eventually you will be separated from him forever. But God gives grace and he gives us a lifetime to figure out we got to have him back. Got to have him back. And the whole point of this life is to know the love that God has for you, to receive that love, and then to go love others with it. One of the first questions the Lord will ask you is, did you learn how to love? Did you learn how to love? And you cannot learn how to love unless you have received his love. And you cannot learn how to love others unless you realize how much the Lord is giving up for you daily. And that allows you to take up your cross and follow him daily. This is the gospel of good news. Because he's loving kindness and he's steadfast mercy. And there's nothing that you have done and there's no place that you have been that he cannot go and save you from it. And that includes the future. There's no sin in the future that you will do that God will deny you or reject you, or throw you out. He will always be faithful to save you. But why should I try to cheat grace and say, well, then I'll just keep on sinning? Do you not know what he did? He went to a cross, and he paid a debt that you owed, and he paid it with his own blood. And he said, instead of your hands, I'll write it with my hands. I'll write the check with my handwriting, and I'll do it by them nailing those hands to a wooden cross. A torment, an execution we have not seen in the history of time, but he took it for us. But it didn't stop him. He rose three days later, and those who believe that he's still alive to this day, he's not just a spirit up in heaven. He's in the bone and flesh. He's the firstborn of the dead. Actual in the flesh, in heaven right now. Not by his spirit, but his actual bones and his actual flesh is sitting in heaven right now. And this man, the son of God, the son of man, will come back again. He will show us who he really is. But those who already know him know who he is and look forward to that day. Those that mock him are in fear that he will actually show up and judge the wicked and the dead. I'm on the side that is excited about that. If you're on the side that's afraid of that, he's here. He wants to save you from that fear. Amen? Isaiah 1 is where we're starting today. The Lord has been telling us that we are building a house here. It can be a slow build that we're not afraid because he's the gardener of the garden. He is the vine dresser of this house. He is the one pruning. He is the one planting. He is uprooting and replanting. And he has been doing that for many years. 
over a decade in this house, the Garden Gathering Church of San Angelo, Texas. Our mandate and call is what he has given our head, Brandy Helton, and she has been sent. Apostles have a sending. They are called to go. I am sending you to a region. I'm sending you to a place. I'm sending you to a spiritual place. I'm sending you to a mission. Brandy's mission is the bride of Christ in the marketplace. That is what Jesus told her to do. So we have come under that headship. We have come under that authority. We have come under that mandate, and that mission is ours. That's the soil that we've been planted in. And then he asked us to tend the flame, feed the fire. How does that happen? We're talking about spiritual disciplines. And that God might ask you to do something different than you've never done before. Tend the flame. Tend the flame. Sometimes it means doing something different. Sometimes it means, means going back to the beginning and doing those things of the first love. Sometimes it means doing something you've never even thought of. Maybe it's doing it differently. It's the Lord's discipleship. He's the discipliner. And those who follow Jesus will hear his voice and do what he says. Right? Last week we talked about turning. And the first step in this process is you have to hear the Lord. And the first step in hearing the Lord is you have to turn your eyes upon Jesus and see him. You have to turn. You have, when's the last time the Holy Spirit asked, when's the last time you've actually turned intentionally to look upon my face? Intentional stillness. Intentional seeking the face of God. Intentional, I want to see you because I know that if I see you, I will be made like you, it says in 1 John. And this is the hope of those who purify themselves, which is what we are called to do, because this is a season of renewal, of purifying. So we have this hope of being purified, but you cannot be purified unless you look upon the face of Jesus. That's 1 John. You don't believe me. Okay, we'll go to 1 John. I believe you too. Right? Yes? <laughs> I'm in my other Bible for a reason. No. First, uh, chapter 3, First John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because it did not know him. But beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we will know. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You can see the face of Jesus daily today, right? We constantly talk about heaven is for here. God did not tell Jesus, this is how you pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Bring earth to heaven as quickly as you can. Bring me up there as fast as you can, because I want to go up there. <laughs> Jesus did not pray that. But that's how often we pray. Get me out of here as quickly as you can. Take me out of the earth into heaven fast. I am so ready for, to go up there. That is not what Jesus prayed. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth like it is in heaven. Yes. Wait, which way is it going? Heaven's coming down here. You're going to rule and reign with Christ here. Well, when does that happen? As soon as you want to believe it. Do you want to believe it? Do you want to believe it? Did Jesus bring heaven to earth or did he go to, from earth to heaven? He said everywhere he went, he said, the kingdom of heaven is in my hand. Change the way you're thinking. Repent. Are you in Isaiah 1? So this is what we've been doing. We're turning our face to the Lord Jesus this last week. We're turning to seek him, to hear him, 
to be healed by him, an intimate moment of I'm looking upon you, I'm turning my ears to you. Jessica said this morning, right, we are turning, Moses turned. I'm actually going to read that passage today. But we're turning to our face to the Lord. We're turning our ears to him. Holy Spirit is always looking in the spirit of God to reveal something new to his children. He who knows the thoughts of God, but the, the spirit of God. And he's the spirit of truth that leads us into all truth. And he is wanting you to earnestly seek the thoughts and hearts of God. What does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that taste like? There's a turning here. I'm looking upon the face of Jesus. You with me? This is the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is how things become new to you. Not something old that I just do. This is the fresh breath of the Holy Spirit. This is the daily bread. This is the daily life. This is the river of life that you drink from daily. It's the face of Jesus. It's how he wakes up. We sing about it, how I love you. I want to wake up next to you every morning. I want to see your face, my beloved. Right? How many men have been singing that after they got married? Wait a minute. That's how you started. I want to wake up next to your face. I want to see it every morning. Well, Jesus has the same heartbeat. He has a beloved that wants to see him every morning. See your face. I mean see you. I mean know you. It's more than just seeing the actual face. It's seeing the spirit of God. It's knowing his spirit. It's hearing his voice. It's having a communion, abiding in him. That's the heart, not just, oh, I saw your face, check. You with me? All right, verse 18 of chapter 1 of Isaiah through 20. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, and for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Okay. You can believe this, or you can turn away. And sometimes we do. Sometimes the hardest thing for a Christian to believe is that God loves them. And it breaks my heart. (laughs) And the Lord says, come now, let's reason together. If you're willing to hear my voice, I'll tell you what you are. If you're willing to receive my love, I will love you. If you want to reason with me, we'll reason, but I've justified it by my son's blood. Legally, there's nothing against you because of the sin that I put on my son was yours. And I punished him with my wrath so that I wouldn't have to punish you. Let's reason. And see your white as snow. And if you want to be obedient, then you will have life and everlasting life daily. If you don't, then this is what it feels like. It's like you're getting eaten up from the inside out. A sword is constantly against you. Guilt is constantly eating at you. Condemnation is constantly eating at you. Right? It's the opposite of zeal for your house is eating me up. It's guilt for myself is destroying me. Yeah. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken and doesn't return to him void. Let's go to the Exodus story that Jess referred to this morning. It's in Exodus 3. We're going to kind of hop, skip, and jump through it, but we're going to read. Exodus 3, verse 1 through 6. I'm in the ESV canon. That's why it might look a little different. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not being consumed. Three, and Moses said, I will turn. There's our word, okay? So 
We're highlighting what the Lord is highlighting to us in this house. Moses said, I will turn. I will turn to face the Lord. I will turn to face him. All right? Do you see it? And Moses said, I will turn aside to see, to look upon, to put my face to this great sight. Right? Why is the bush not burned? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, to put his face, to look upon, to see the Lord, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals of your feet, off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And then they said, I am the God of your father, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses then, what did he do? He hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And understandably so. It says in Hebrews that we should not be afraid anymore, but we should come boldly to the throne of grace. This is before Jesus has made a way and torn the veil that we've been talking about. This is before the holiness of God is now in you and you shall become bold to go to the throne of grace with your petitions and to see upon him, to look upon the Lord, to cry out in the temple of God. Yes? He turned to see, but because of shame, he hid his face. Because of fear, he hid his face. Because he's like, oh, I'm an, I'm an unholy man. How can I look upon God? Right? There's a righteous fear here, and there's a little bit of shame here. They both are here. And you have to take the healthy, respectful fear of the Lord, the terror of the Lord that's here, and you yield to that and submit to that. But you also have to recognize that we have boldness in the Holy Spirit right now if you believe in Christ Jesus. Yeah? You don't come brashly to God. That's all I'm talking about. All right, let's drop down to 10, verse 10 here. And this is what God told him to do. Come, I, the Lord, will send you to Pharaoh that you, Moses, may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, but I will be with you, and this sign shall be for you that I have sent you, that when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said, I am who I am. That's actually the name that should never be named. It's Yahweh. It's so much fear on that name that the Jews to this day will not say it. But yet Zechariah said that at the end, they will call upon the name of the Lord. You know what name they're going to call? Yahweh. They finally break down and say the one that we fear the most, the one that we feared the most on the Mount Sinai, we're going to call out to him because he's the only one that can save us. This is that name. They will not say it until they have to, until they're broken down at the end of time when Zachariah says, the name that we're going to say is Yahweh. There's a lot of fear that should be on that name, even in the house of the Lord today and the Christians. This is a fearful name. I am who I am. I was who I was. I am who I am. I is who I is. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. (laughs) Moses is in the presence of God. He has turned to see his face. God tells him what he wants to tell him. And now Moses is going to bring a bunch of reasons. A bunch of reasons. Moses' first reason. Moses said to God, Who am I? Right? Verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel? And God says, that's not a good reason, for I'm with you. Yeah. Second reason said, well, what if I come to the people and they're like, well, what's the name of God? And God says, well, that's not a good reason. I am that I am. That's my name. That's all you got to say. And if they were any Hebrew before, they'd be like, well, who's that? I've never heard of that God. Honestly. But there was such power and fear in it 
It's a brand new revelation of God. Before he was just the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the one that they knew, we know. And now God's like, well, I'm going to give you a whole new revelation. I'm Yahweh. And they should have been like, okay, I don't know who that is. Well, they were going to find out quick. And they feared that God, the name of that God, for all time. So that's not a reason. Let's drop down. What's his next reason in chapter 4, verse 1? Then Moses answered and said, But behold, these Israelites, they will not believe me or, or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. In verse 2, the Lord says, That's not a reason. What is that in your hand? And Moses said, Well, it's a staff. And the Lord said, Well, throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran away terrified from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it and became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So there's not a reason there. And he gives them another sign of putting his hand in his cloak. Go down to verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and, and of tongue. And the Lord said, That's not a reason either. What has man made, who has made man's mouth? Who has made man's mouth? Who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, says the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. That's not a reason either. You can't even give your physical handicap as a reason against me, because I can heal you. Yes. What reason can you bring before God? Moses tries a lot. What is he bucking? He's bucking the truth that God has said to him. Yes. This is who you are, Moses. This is who you are. This is who you are. And we do the same thing. We will turn to the Lord and he will ask you of something. He will ask you to do something. He will tell you who you are. He will say, this is where you're going. He will say, this is what I want you to do. And we have a lot of reasons of why we can do it just a little bit, not quite all the way that. And I'm here to tell you that there is no reason why in the presence of God. In the presence of God, there are no reasons. He can trump them all. He can trump them all. Oh, I'm not smart enough. I'll just give you wisdom. Well, I don't speak very well. Doesn't matter. I can make you talk. Well, I don't have any education. Well, here's all of my knowledge. Right? Well, I've never gotten a passport. Well, here you go. Well, I don't know how to dance. Well, David did. There is no reason in the presence of God... There is no reason, there is no reason, there is no reason in the presence of God, why not? There is no reason when you look upon the Lord and he asks you, I, want, I need you to fast this month, we're doing spiritual disciplines, I need you to be silent for 30 minutes every day. I need you to, right, we're doing spiritual disciplines. Yes, everybody look at me like I know what you're talking about. K1, K3, Lauren, I asked you to do spiritual disciplines. Is he asking us to tend the flame, feed the fire? How do you do that? It takes discipline. Yes. Another shameless plug. I don't care. Feed the flame. Spiritual disciplines. He's going to ask you to do things you might not have ever done before. Why? Because you're going to be strengthening your spirit man. You have to be strengthening your spirit man. Why? Because we're soldiers in the house of God. Why? Because the bride is carrying a sword and it's pretty weighty and you've got to use it. And you've got to know how to defend with it. And you also need to strike with it. You've got to work out those muscles a little bit. It's a pretty big sword. It's a big sword. It's a hefty sword. It's a deep sword. It's not to be flung around. Loosey-goosey. Work it out. How? Discipline your soul. Discipline your spirit, man. Well, that's works. Faith and works. I will show you my faith by my works. James. There's no reason. There's no reason in the house of God. 
You can't throw that at me. Oh, that's just works, Grant. You're just telling me to work, you know, work my salvation. No, I will show you my faith by my works. And my children are looking to see someone who will do it. They will. Hey, why don't you go jump? Why don't you go jump, youth? I don't see anybody jumping. Oh, why don't you go dance, youth? Why? I don't see anybody dancing. Who are they looking at? Yeah. And then if the Lord tells you, I want you to go dance, I don't dance. Well, he has a reason. Go to Moses, Exodus 3, Exodus 4. I've lost my place. Exodus 4, 13. <laughs> Exodus 4, 13. What does he say? But Moses said, oh, my Lord, please just send someone else. That's the heart. There's the crux. There's the crux of the matter. He should have just started here. And if you laugh, it's because you identify with this. I identify with this. The heart of the matter is, is my flesh is lazy and I just don't want to do it. Please just send someone else. And I've tried to be kind with all of my reasons and all of my excuses I'm trying to give you a way out, God, but you're not giving me a way out. Please just send someone else. And we don't hear any anger in the Holy Spirit at all. He's gracious. He's like, well, that's not a problem. It's not a problem. It's like going to an employer. You got to go to the North Pole. Well, you know, you know, this and that and this. Oh, well, don't worry. Here's my credit card. Oh, don't worry. I'll train you for winter exploration for three months before you go. Well, don't worry. I'm going to let your family go with you. Well, don't worry. You know, I'll have a whole team that goes with you. And then finally, you're just like, dude, I just don't want to go to the North Pole. That's the truth. God will do the same thing with us. And he has probably since the beginning of this year. I need you to pray all night. I need you to pray for one person. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I'm doing a renewing work in you. I'm starting something fresh in you. I'm learning. I'm teaching you how to feed a fire. And that means, I know I gave my example of staying up late because somebody has to put a log on the fire in the middle of the night when everybody's sleeping. It's spiritual discipline. Spiritual discipline, not physical discipline. That used to get into that, right? Where, oh, I've fasted for 21 days. Oh, great, 22 and a half days. Who cares? The point is spiritual discipline. But you have to put the flesh in submission so that your spirit man can work out. That's what fasting is about. And Lauren does an excellent job of explaining that. So I'm not going to keep going. Verse 13, but he said, Moses said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled. Finally, okay, there's the grieving of the Holy Spirit. There's the grieving. You just don't want to say yes. But praise God, this did not stop the destiny of Moses. The destiny of Moses was still fulfilled even though he was in this place. So don't feel condemnation if you've been here because God will not relent with what is written of you to do. He might have to make an addendum because of your yes or your unwillingness or I don't really want to. And he did. He made an addendum because then Moses came along to speak for him. But the fulfillment of the destiny of Moses, he is still one of the greatest servants that we have ever seen in the Bible. But this is where it starts. And sometimes it's where it starts with you. You might look at the face of the Lord and he's like, you're the next Billy Graham. You're the next Ezra. You're the next Billy Sunday. You're the next X, Y, and Z. You are that. Can you, can you do what that takes? You're the next Reinhardt Bonnke. You're the next whatever. Whatever model you want to go after. Whoever you're trying to imitate. But first you have to say, I believe that. 
And then you have to go through the reasons of why. And you have to come to the conclusion that there is no reason why not in the presence of God. There is no reason. God says, come, let us reason together. You and I, let's reason. And you'll find out you have none. Doesn't stand. There is no stand. There is nothing that can come before God that will, not, will trump him. Yeah? The crux of the matter is I don't want to. The heart and the soul is the only thing that can stop the work of God in your life. Faith versus unbelief. Go to Luke 9. The heart and soul is the only thing that can stop the work of God in your life. Faith versus unbelief. I believe God, but I don't know if I believe it for me. I believe God can do this for you. I'm not sure if he can do that for me. Constant battle in the house of God. Constantly. Oh, I have enough faith for you. But I'm a different case. Luke 9, verse 57 through 62. Are you with me? Luke 9, 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So uh, comfort is out the window is what he's saying. And you see that rock? That was a good rock last night. That's what he's saying. Right? That's what he's saying. Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Okay, we'll get up at three in the morning. Oh, but that's a really good bed. That's what he says. And then you should hear this verse. Foxes have holes and birds have, but I do not have a place to lay my head. And you're going to give me that as your reason. Right? To another, he said, follow me. But that man said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Oh, good answer, right? Good answer. Good answer. It's a good reason. Good reason, right? We can do our game. Good answer. Nobody's clapping with me. Nobody wants to play this game today. But Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. You knew the answer. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Who did he say that to? Moses. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You can't give me a reason to stop. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first... Let me say farewell to those at my home. That's a good answer. That's a good thing. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow looks back for, and looks back as fit for the kingdom of God. Matthew 10, or Mark 10. Sorry, go to Mark 10. Mark 10, 29. Verse through 31. Is this right? Yes. Okay. Peter began to say to the Lord, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left his house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or even their own children or even their homeland for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now, today, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and homelands with persecutions. And in the age to come, they'll receive eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. We want all of those things, but then it comes with the addendum with persecutions there's the cost there's the cost when we turn to the Lord there is always this this battle this is what you're feeling from me is that flesh right versus the spirit your spirit has faith but your flesh has always been an unbelieving wimp <laughs> and it's that war that you hate of my spirit man is like I know I was born for this but when that alarm clock goes off your wimpy unbelieving flesh just says Mwah! it's the truth 
And that's why we have admiration for those men and women of God who have submitted themselves to the cross of Jesus daily enough to crucify the flesh daily enough that allowed the Holy Spirit to move in their life so powerfully that the world was changed. And that is the call of God for this house. Because a bride of Christ, glorious church, is going to change the world. <laughs> it's the truth that in our country that when we were founded, it said only 30% of the population believed that we should become independent. Only 30%. 30% didn't care. They would go to whichever side was, you know, winning. And then another 33. So it's like 33, 33, 33. And the other 33 were just loyalists to England. But of that 33%, the ones that led it, the ones that wrote those documents, you know, the Jeffersons and the Madisons and, you know, the Hancocks and the, the Washingtons and the Franklins, you know, all of those guys, those were actually the richest people in our society. It was the only revolution that we've seen of in history that was actually led by the top 1%. Other revolutions were begun by the poor and the downtrodden and those that were being dis disparaged. They overthrow rightfully those under them or wrongfully those above them, right? America was different. It was actually the ones that had the most to lose gave it all away. And they wrote that in the Declaration. We give our lives, we honor, and all of our wealth for the good that we know that all men are created equal. And we've been pursuing that destiny ever since, sometimes wrongfully, sometimes righteously, but that is our call and destiny. And we've made a lot of mistakes, but we've also learned a lot, and we need to be honoring of those that have done it. Amen. But what I'm trying to say is that probably about 5% of the 30 actually engaged. So that means 95% of the colonies weren't engaged so if 5% was all it took to create this nation, how many believers does it actually take to change it again? It doesn't take that many. And we might be discouraged because you have small numbers. Don't despise small beginnings because it only takes a fraction of people to see that the bride of Christ can be real, that the glorious church can be real, that there is a purity, that there doesn't have to be a compromise, that there doesn't have to be this underlying catch to the church, but it can be pure and spotless and blameless and full of integrity. And what you see is what you get is tender and love and fierce and all of the things that we've been talking about since the beginning of the year. It can happen here. And he's been giving that ministry to you. And he's been giving that ministry to me. And it's a greater ministry than what he gave to Moses. Something greater is here. Jesus said, because now I don't have to just come upon you like I came upon Moses. I can be in you all the time. And my river can be on tap all day long. And those that learn how to just turn it on and let it go. Oh, but then they have those reasons on why you have to turn it off. But those that can learn to just turn on the river of life and let it go. The sevenfold spirit of God blows through them. And that is what Jesus said. That's the ministry of reconciliation that I'm giving to you. To be ambassadors from heaven because heaven's coming to earth, not earth to heaven. That's what we're here for. And it really only takes a small fraction of the body of Christ to get it to impact the rest. Jesus said that. How did he say that? He said, I just have to wash your feet and the whole body's clean. I just have to wash your feet and the whole body's clean. If just a fraction of the bride understands the purity that if I look upon the face of Jesus, then I purify myself. I become the bride of Christ. I become that bride of Christ. I become prepared and ready. If I can understand that washing of the water of the word, I can understand the abiding of the glorious church. If I can understand the power therein, if I can understand this submission therein, then the whole church will be cleansed. The whole church will get it. The whole church will walk in it. Peter said, well, then just dump it all on all of me, Lord. He said, I just have to have a piece of you. It's a spiritual principle. Yes? Eight. Oh, no. Luke. 
Luke 1, I'm sorry. Luke 1. There is no cost greater than following Jesus. There is no reason not to follow Jesus. That's what these verses should have been showing you. There's no reason not to follow Jesus. You can't make up a reason to, you can't even bury your father. You can't. That's not a reason in the house of God. It's not. There's not, there's no, there's no excuse. There's no reasons too great or too good to following God. There's no cost greater than following Jesus. It said you can give up your homeland. Even yes, Texas. Your pride of Texas, you can give that up and you will gain something back. You can give up your children even to the Lord. Let them go and you will gain children in this life and in the age to come, it says. That's a hard price to pay. Yes, it is. It is. I'm not saying this is an easy price, but there is no cost greater than following Jesus. There is no reason why you should not. Why? Because nothing will ever keep us away from turning to him and nothing is impossible for God. How do I know that? Well, Luke 1, 37. Yes? Luke 1, 37. <sighs> for nothing will be impossible with God. And who answered? And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And we, we hear this way too much, but the reality of what she's saying yes to should always hit us. For with God, nothing is impossible. We say that all the time. Well, who was answering that? Mary, who is saying, yes, I believe that it is possible for me to be pregnant without being married or having known a man at all. And she's like, she didn't give out 20, well, what was it? I'm sorry. Four reasons why she could not. And then give a reason like Moses did. Can you just find someone else? She didn't go through that. She didn't do what Moses did. Right? She didn't do what Moses did. Well, I'm, she did ask, well, how can this be? But then this was said, well, because nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, well, then I believe you. Did God say that to Moses? Yeah, I will go with you. I will be with you. That's the sign that you need. I'm right here with you. Moses had another reason. Mary did not. There's faith here, yes? Romans 8. This is why you also know nothing is impossible for God because I know this. Or at least you should know this or we're learning this, right? Romans 8, we're going to be in 31 through 39. You're doing great. Do you know that you're doing great? All right. All right. Here we go. Romans 8, 31 through 39. We've read this, but we're going to read it again. What then shall we say to these things? Let's reason together. Isaiah 1. Let's reason together. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's reason together. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let's reason together. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, who is he who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? So let's reason again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. And we are regarded as sheep for the slaughter. You will gain all of these things in this life with persecutions. It's part of it. You will gain mothers and fathers and children and brothers and sisters and houses and lands with persecutions. And we are slaughtered all day long. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure I have reasoned and I have wrestled with this. And I have looked at the face of God over and over and over again. And I have come to this conclusion that I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things of this present time, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
We say it. We know it. But now he's asking you to turn your face and look at Jesus and know it for yourself. And all of the reasons of why you can't know the love of God, there is no reasons why. And you have to go through that wrestling as Moses did. You have to go through those and God gives you the answer. Well, I have this. Well, here's my trump card for that. Well, here's my trump card for that. Well, here's my trump card for that. And when you finally get to the crux of it is, I just don't want to receive your love. That's the breaking point. I just don't want to receive the love you have for me. Then he can actually begin to love you. Because that's when you break. That's when you actually melt and realize he is for you. He is for you. He is for you. And that's what we need. Because the bride of Christ knows the love of the bridegroom. He is for her. He is for her. He is for you. Yeah? Repentance is truly changing the way you think. That's what Brandy was mentioning. Changing the way you think and when you turn to God. And what you are changing is how you think about yourself. I don't dance. God says, you can dance with me. He told Gideon, you're a warrior. He says, I'm not a warrior. God had to change the way he thought. He had to change the way he th Moses thought. Well, I'm not a servant of the Lord, but I'm with you and you have served me all your days. Well, I'm not an eloquent man, but yet we read his words all the time. <laughs> God changes the way you think about yourself first. That's repentance. He took these fishermen and made them fishers of men. And it starts with you, and that's that repentance. When I turn my face to the Lord, he turns my way of thinking of, oh, I can do this. I can dance before the Lord. I can take that timbre. I can fast before him. I can be silent before him. Why? Because it's not me who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And what he says, I am, I am. I am who you say I am, not who I believe I am or not who I want to be. But I believe it's what you want me to. And there's the working of repentance. There's the working of repentance that Miriam took up the timbrel and danced in front of the waves of the Red Sea. But we've never seen her dance before. I am who you say I am. That's a statement of faith, but when that working is that turning your face to the face of the Lord, that's the work of repentance. There is no reason, there is no excuse, there is no shame, there is no sin greater than the face and the presence of God. Repentance is truly changing the way you think about how God sees you and how you see yourself in a situation. And all of a sudden, in the presence of God, in the face of God, in the hands of God, there is no reason why God cannot do something in your life. There is, no impos there is the one impossibility with God. There is one thing that is impossible. Go to Hebrews 11. There is one place of impossibility with God. There is one thing that is impossible. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Ephesians 11, verse 6. Hebrews. I'm sorry, Hebrews 11, verse 6. <laughs> Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Other versions say those who earnestly or diligently seek him. And what are we called to do? We have been talking about urgent. We've been talking about earnest. We've been talking about diligence. We've been talking about turning away and seeking the face of God. And so if you're going to turn your face and seek the face of God, you must first believe that he exists to be looked at. He is there to be greeted. He wants to be seen by me. He wants to reveal his face to me. He wants to reveal his heart to me. I must believe that he is. 
Rafa. I have to believe that he is the healer. I have to believe that he is the provider. I have to believe that he exists in this capacity for me. He is eager to provide for me. Pressed down, shaken together, runneth over into my lap. I have to believe that he is the gracious one. I have to believe that he is the rebuker who will rebuke me to my face. I have to believe that he is the discipliner who will spank my bobo. But I have to look and receive it. But that he's not just one to look upon, that he is a rewarder of those who are diligently, earnestly seeking his face. But the impossibility is he cannot do a single thing. He is actually stopped. He's actually halted. Reverse it. Reverse it. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. It is actually an impossibility for God to move on your life if you turn away and not believe him. He can't touch you. Why is that? Because he, is it not that God has the power? No, he can press through, but he has willfully restrained himself from touching your heart by force. He wants to touch your heart because you say, touch me, show me, Abba, love me, forgive me. There it is. But before then, it's impossible. Why? Because he has restrained. He says, I don't want you to love me because I forced you. I don't want you to believe in me because I forced you. Therefore, it is impossible for me to cross this line unless you raise the gate, unless you open the door, unless as I'm knocking and I'm knocking and I'm knocking, you open the door and let me come in and eat with you. Revelation 3. You hear it? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. There is an impossibility with God in your heart. So what am I talking about? I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. But then he says, but I want to heal you. Oh, do you really want to heal me? There's the doubt. There's the unbelief. There's that, that brings an impossibility for God to touch you. I believe, I believe, I believe. Okay, then give up your paycheck this month. Ah, there, that moment right there. That moment right there. I believe, I believe, I believe. Well, then go get up and tell them this. Are you really speaking to me? That brings that impossibility for God to move because he will not force it. He says, I do nothing without first revealing it to the prophets and I have to use a people that will believe me. And that's why we talk about like with the Bobby Connor, he will speak to us of what he wants to do in our lives. He will speak to us of what he wants to see happen in our lives. He will speak to us that you're the next so-and-so, you're the next so-and-so. And I say, I want to be that so-and-so, but I don't really believe I can be that so-and-so. And then finally, we come to a point in our lives where we just say, I just believe it. (laughs) I just believe it. And you can do however you want to do it. And you finally come to that place where you're a woman and you're a man that just believes God. And then you start fulfilling all those things that God has said in your heart to do. It has to start with the faith with yourself first that you believe what God's saying about you is true. And it takes a broken place. One thing that stops God is your unbelief. When you think, I don't actually think that's going to happen. And I really actually don't want to. And I wish God would deal with someone else. Because he is a rewarder, but it's the reward of his glory. It's not to satisfy your own pleasures or your own glory or your own vain wants and imaginations for God. He's a rewarder of his glory for those who earnestly seek him. That's James 4, right? You ask, but you ask amiss because you ask for your own pleasures. Trauma keeps a soul in, a soul in shock. So there is this one place in the heart that when we have a trauma when we have something that startles us, that shocks us, your body can come from a trauma and start walking again, but sometimes your heart is still laying down on the pavement. 
sometimes your mind and your soul and your emotions are still laying down on that pavement where you got hit. And those are deep places, but the soul is not moving. The soul is not awakened. The soul cannot feel anything but that wound and that pain. It's, there's no life there. Everything's gray there. Everything's drab there. And that soul can feel depressed and lonely because they know they shouldn't feel this way. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't feel this way. I have life in me, but yet I can't get out of that shock. My, my emotions, my flesh, not my flesh, my, my soul is in shock of that trauma. That's what a trauma does, and that's why the enemy uses it. To stop the progress, to shock, to put your mind, will, and emotions in shock from receiving more from the Holy Spirit and the faith of God. And that's why Jesus took that crown of thorns, pressed into his mind, to have the power to heal our brains from coming out of that trauma, coming out of that emotion, coming out of that place of feeling something that was painful, that shocked your eyes, shocked your brain, stunned it, and you are in that emotional stunning, that trauma, that deep place where you feel like I can't get out of it. That's those deep wounds. That's the deep traumas that keeps us from going. And so sometimes you can turn to the Lord but not feel anything because you're in that place of shock. You're in that stunning, that's that trauma. The Lord has a, a way, he has a blood that goes into those deep places. He was bruised for those deep places. He took the crown of thorns deep into his skull for those things. There's healing there. And when you say, well, I can't get out of this, you're right. But the Lord, that's not a reason before the Lord. That's not a reason before the Lord because he went to the depths of hell and he got a way out. He went to the worst pit, the darkest pit, the deepest dungeon, and he made a way out. He's been further than you are if you're in that place. And he has a way out. It's light and life through Christ Jesus. And he does a greater work. He does a greater work. And you say, well, he hasn't seen what I've seen. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. I'm telling you, he has. I'm telling you, he has. Why? Because his spirit hovers around the earth, always searching to and fro, seeing in everything, in every closet, in every place. The seven spirits of God go out looking. He's seen it all. He's seen it all. Amen? So we are in a time of turning, of renewal, of repentance, changing the way we think about ourselves and what God is asking us to do. And then we have to have faith and expectancy, and there is no reason why not in the face of God. Amen? Amen. So if you need prayer or deliverance or healing, we're up here and we will pray for you. And if you need to just take the communion of the Lord Jesus Christ again, it's okay to take twice. Amen. He is the one that paid that price, and it is the freedom of the Lord is in that, and remembering what he did for us. Yes? So let's stand. Holy Spirit, we say yes to your turning, to your returning, and to your softening of our hearts, Lord. You get to the crux of the matter, and I ask that you would do it in every heart. What you're asking us to do in disciplining our flesh to walk by the Spirit, that there would come to a place in our hearts where there is no reason. I have to believe you or not believe you. And I thank you for that place where we have to come to a place of believing God or not believing. But Lord, I know that we choose to believe because you soften our hearts to believe you. Just like you did, James and John, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you able to receive the baptism that I've been baptized with? And they were able to come to a place of faith and said, we are able. And I ask that that be on every heart here. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. This message was brought to you by the Garden Gathering Church, a family of spirit-filled believers in San Angelo, Texas. We long to encounter God's presence and equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If you'd like to find out more, go to www.thegardenstc.org. 
to realize how the revelation of Jesus Christ can fulfill your mandate in the kingdom of heaven.